got the winners of uh, Kansas City Rawls, we got the Chiefs, and we got you guys in Ferguson, USA Hot Talk Radio, and we just had what they tell me is a very successful Zoom uh, show, and now we're connecting up with the young lady from KCK, the young lady who's a straight-A student at UMKC, a young lady that is taking radio production at UMKC, but now we're going to dig into ancestry and the family. And today's topic is Salas and Wales Connection. So, Cheyenne, you know something about it. Let's discuss what you do know, what you found out about the Salases, and hopefully the other people will join us. Hello, hello, nice to talk to everyone, and yes, I do know some about the Salases because I am, um, they are like a family of a family to me, <laughs> because my family is part of the Wells family, and uh, one of the Salases married, uh, married a Wells, and there's been a lot of family reunions between both the families. <laughs> and so the, the main person, well, who started the Salas family, right, was, well, the common ancestor name was Thomas Salas, right? And he was born January 1845 in Kosciuszko, Mississippi. And he had, uh, he was married to a woman named Martha. Are those your grandparents, great-grandparents? Yes. Hmm, okay. And may I ask who your uh, grandparent was? Who was their child that was your grandparent? Well, oh, my grandparents, excuse me. <coughs> was Annie uh, Salas Bridges, and she is the of uh, 14 children, she was born in 1882, and they moved from Mississippi into the Indian Territory, which is now the state of Oklahoma, and their family, they really multiplied quickly. In other words, they couldn't get lonely because they had too many siblings among them. <laughs> and. Annie Salas, and that's the one that her sister, Emma Salas, was uh, Eliza Clement King's grandmother. And with uh, Eliza King, her father was Russell Clement. And that's what it's taught. But we go back to the Salases with a uh, Mr. Wells married Luella Salas, which I don't know, um, was she the firstborn for the, uh, the Salas's, uh, Cheyenne? Oh, no, she, she was not. She, I believe, would be the fifth child. Okay, well, kind of go through the, the Salas, and I'll work with you on that. Okay, Who were the so, siblings? So, the oldest one was Horace. Or okay. Harris. Right. Uh, yeah. Okay. The name changes. There was one named Mary. Okay. Henry. Okay. Willie. Okay. 
Columbus. Yes. Luella. Oh, I, I thought she was up further than that. Okay. <laughs> and Margaret. Emma. Annie. Caledonia. Yeah, and you got Betty too, don't you? Yeah, she is um, down the list, I think. Well, see, okay, see, the salad says they kind of hung in triplets. You had Emma, Betty, and Annie. And they kind of hung together, ran together, was the correct terminology back then was. And this is a family that really, through the whales and the salicers, they did a lot of repeating the name, passing on to the different Oh, families. absolutely. Because there's a bunch of Thomases <laughs> within the family, the Salas family. And the name just keeps repeating and repeating throughout the decades. And it's amazing how the name just continues on. And talking about uh, the Wells family, Luella Salas married someone named Willis Wells. And they had, I believe, seven children, if, uh, according to the census. And what was very interesting about that is that Willis, Willis uh, Wells was my great-great-grandmother's brother, okay? And so I know that the Wells is an extremely big family because on just on my side alone, there's about, I think about 500 descendants from, uh, his, from my great, great grandmother whose name was Jeanette. Oh, Eliza, they're gonna call, they're gonna call you, we on this, we on this. And yeah, it's a really big family. And and what is amazing is that these people survive from like really intense. Like let me see, the Thomas Salas and Martha Salas were both born, um, I believe, in slavery which uh, I don't believe Kosciuszko was a place, but it was just called Alita County at this point. And the Wells lived there as well. And what I found was interesting about um, Thomas Salas was that I'm is unsure who his biological father was right from based off the census, he knew who he was, but it's not on any of the records. Good. Oh, well, this side of the family moved to Oklahoma as well. But they moved earlier, like in the 1800s, because uh, on my family side, they were trying to get to California to escape, like, really brutal oppression mm-hmm. that was going on in Mississippi at that time. Mm-hmm. 
because if you look at the news, um, the newspaper uh, archives, right, that's based on that area, you can read stories about people who was running away from the plantations, okay? And and they have stories about it was it was terrible. And no, they did not have the names of the plantations. They never had the names on any of the records, right? But they had who the slave owners were. And so the slave owner for the Wells family, he didn't even use his full name. It was just E.N. Wells, and he was a judge. And then, uh, if, like, all the Wells from that, uh, from Kosciuszko, came from that man plantation. Well, he and so it said on the 1860s uh, census, he had about 20000 of personal value, okay? $20,000. And that's a lot, especially when inflation. And just so speaking, you know, most of the slaves down there, okay, when people, uh, uh, wherever they went to court or wherever they need, you know, the people who came slaves, they were they were uh, they were hired out you know, to, to work on different people's plantations. So the, and the sheriff, the one that hired them, okay, to the plantations, you know, for them to work out, the, you know, what they owe. And I guess with this gentleman being a judge, you know, okay, he had first deals on anybody else for all the slaves that whole county was in. Mm-hmm. And because he was a judge, basically, he was wealthy. Okay. Yeah, very well. Oh, yes. With inflation, that's easily over 100000 at this point. Yeah, yeah. And in those days, they have not spending money on in those days. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so, for the salad part, there wasn't... um a really clear explanation about who was the slave owner since the whole family owned slaves. The white salads part owned slaves, okay? And so, I mean, it's just a horrific history when you start looking through these slave records, right, and what these people went through. Yeah, yeah. And I could imagine that you might have a hell of a plantation. The whole thing that many slaves, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so, um, and just in this, in his corn. You know what I'm saying? He gets a good, if he had that many slaves, he must have had a lot of cotton, a lot of corn, or whatever to pick for them to do down there, you know, for him to get money off, not just off the strategy of the slaves, but off the cross that he raised. Yes, absolutely. And so, it, it's just, like horrific to think about these people were just born to work they were forced to work for someone else's plantation yes and and what's crazy about some of these areas and um Mississippi, right? These plantations still kind of exist. They're still standing up to this day. Oh, yeah. Also, Louisiana, too, yeah. 
Yeah, so if throughout the South, you can maybe more than likely some of where your ancestors were living at, their plantation could still be existing where they worked at. And it's not it's not that many generations ago because you still hear like older people talk about, oh, you know, I, I used to visit the plantation or I was born on one. And, and these people aren't that old. Oh, no, no, I mean, I was born on one myself, you know. Uh, not in my, my father's side of the family. We were driving on shore because I grew up in Richmond, Mississippi at the time. And then when we were in a hospital for blacks to be born in. So we had no choice but to go back to, you know, I, you know to the to the plantation and to be born. And that's where his wife was. Mm. And so you remember, do you remember growing up there? Well, you know, you know, yes, I do. In fact, I was born in, you know, where I was born, it was in Delta, Louisiana, right across the road from Vicksburg. But once I was weaned, I went back to, to, uh, to, uh, to uh, Vicksburg, Mississippi. Well, I remained until I was 16, but I was getting every summer, I was getting my grandparents from my mother's side, and were, you know, in Vicksburg over there. You know, and, and as you know, from your, as you already know, my family in those days grew up, okay, with um, this uh, very successful black female in history, one of the first black millionaires, uh, you know, what's her name? Madam C.J. Walker? Madam C.J. Walker, yes, okay. And so, so my family, but I was born over there, you know, and, and, and it was, you know, and, and today that plantation still exists where I was born at. Mm. In Delta, Louisiana, yeah. I mean, I was driving through there, going to Louisiana, going down there, okay. Uh, and Louisiana, and down to New Orleans, and, you know, down there. And it's uh, right there, we go get the plantation. I think at the time, one thing I just was surprised, he was still a plantation. Mm. Wow. And, and, like, the thing is, this is just a point to say, like, this stuff wasn't that long ago. No, no, no. We, but, you know, one thing about, mm-hmm. you know, down in Mississippi now, you have more blacks who actually own land down there now, and a lot of black, you know, uh, uh, you know cities and towns there, that the blacks are also holding uh, elective offices also in a lot of towns in Mississippi also. Mm, wow, I didn't know that. That's yeah. good to hear. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so, so at the end of the day, you know, uh, a, lot, a lot of black people, you know, you say the South now are doing better than people in New York in some cases. Mm-hmm. Because land is literally gold at this point. Right, yeah. right and so they still still on a lot of them on the forms, and that they, you know, pass on to their families and stuff, you know, and in a lot of cases, as you know, but you can see it. Both times, now a lot of those uh, uh, people's land was stripped away from them. Oh, yes. Because if you look at how a lot of people lost their land, right, some of these people could not read because they were never taught or given the opportunity to be able to read. And so they basically, how some people lost their land was these people came in told them a lie and said, hey, if you sign this, we'll give you this, right? But they couldn't read that the contract was actually just stealing their lands and selling their mineral rights and all that stuff. Yeah, we said mineral rights. We're talking about oil. It's just gold. Mm-hmm. 
And so you have the, it was pretty common for people to just lose their land, especially back in the day, because they just did not know what they were signing. They used all this business terms, right? Which the average person back then did not know what that meant. Well, you know, you know what I'm saying? You, you know, these big times today, a lot around black people now are not aware of all the tricks that people are playing now. A lot of people are going to be losing their land and stuff now uh, in, for, uh, in order to foreclosure as, as the people have had homes for a long time. You know, the families are losing them because they uh, the kid may have decided to take a loan out and then tell the parents about the loan and take it out. And, and, the, and the parents lose it, they, you know, they. Nobody homes there, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So still chips out there and how to keep by their land. Yeah, and it's, it's, and it's still going on, even to this day. And it's really saddening to me. Because these people have this land for who knows how long. They worked on it. They worked to get it. And just gone... And then, like, for any seconds, you can't really get it back. No, 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 no. Nobody gets the land back because there's a, there's a clause someplace down there and they got no fairs to make sure that you can't get it back. Hmm, <laughs> I did not know that. Most of the laws, the commanding laws uh, in our country were not, were not written by black folks, you know, because of the black people to call it. Oh, no, yeah, because some of these places, they never really got rid of these laws, right? Which, like, definitely these laws are racist because they were made in, some of them were made during the slavery era. <laughs> and they still use these laws to justify and not update some of this stuff. Mm-hmm. It's quite scary because what is, like, they pull up a law saying, you know, from the 1880s, that's super racist, right? Uh-huh. It's, it's not good. Well, you know, you know, and, and in most cases, cases that you are here in court, uh, you know, the, the, the person that the, the court, uh, the person that charges the records is the person that actually controls what decisions are being made because they can even go back so long and find what record they want to find. Or, you know, a substitute record they want to substitute. Because, again, they have an opportunity to control. Right now, they control the files that, 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 that's out there that that's being utilized. Mm. Yeah. I did not know that either. <laughs> most cases, you know, uh, you know, uh, as I, have, I know here in St. Louis, I work very close with all the court of deeds. And, uh, and a lot of the old, old records that went way, 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 way back, you know, uh, and I, I always love history, you know, that went back and seen a little bit of thing with a lot of, uh, well, they didn't call it the slave, slave state, this Brazil was a slave state in those days, you know, and so St. Louis and Kansas City was in with a metropolis city. I think we're working in rivers and stuff. Mm-hmm. 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 Mm-
they didn't have access to law uniform advice or stuff from what did you do and what not to do. You know, and we kind of spoiled now that you kind of had access to information all the time. Yeah. Yeah. That's what's really good with the internet, right? And you know, you have knowledge at your fingertips. If you really need to look something up, right? Or you can go to your local library and look up books. (laughs) But, I mean, both are super helpful. Because before I even go to the library, I look at they have what I really need. You said people used to like brag about having encyclopedias. Mm-hmm. Wow, I can't. Ma- I don't even remember the last time I bought one. <laughs> oh no, I can't even. Well, I, well, I was a person that loved the library, and, and, and the people, you know, and like, well, like I was in Richmond, you know, who thought they had money, we got encyclopedias. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing, and like. It just takes a couple of generations to see like a huge shift in what like what's considered the new it thing, what's considered to brag about. Because people now brag about the new phones they have. But I just find it so funny that people used to be like, Oh look I got this encyclopedia. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, yes, absolutely, because all these documents I go through are historical. And they are they are very important, and I believe people need to know where they came from, who their parents, their grandparents, even how they even got to where they're at right now. And a lot of people don't realize this, but the reason that like where you are right now is probably because what your parents did, what your grandparents did, how they got here. And like literally, I I would not exist <laughs> without my grandparents. Well, like in this case, you know, you know, your mother and your father's side, you know, especially your father's side, you know, where you know where where inheritance, you know, qualifies you okay for for right to the Indian. You know, mm-hmm. and, you know that's, but again, that's because the records were there for you to go look them up, okay, to see that you qualify. Oh, yes, and since I I am a citizen of Cherokee Nation currently, and I don't think a lot of people realize, but Cherokee, but Cherokee people have one of the most detailed um, records. They kept records of literally everyone. And, yeah, and so, it, like, you have the five, what they call the five civilized tribes, right? Which, they are Cherokee, Choctaw, Chickasaw, Creek, and Seminole, right? And they all kept really great records of who their people were. Even if, like, someone didn't make it, right, they will bring them up in the story. Like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm related to blah, blah. And they pass away during the trail of tears. They keep those records. Yeah. It is really detailed. That's commendable. Mm-hmm. I mean, most of the, most of the things in history is, you know, and, and most times people go around and you have to write down the notes of the, or write down the history. Mm-hmm. The for African Americans, by a lot of our records, do stop in the 1870s, 1860s, because you know slavery. They didn't keep any records of. You know, no saying that mm-hmm. for blacks, a lot of inventions of things that, that, that we created, okay, the white man got credit for, mainly because we didn't, we don't have to write it down. We would tell them about what we just did. And then they were writing down, you know what I mean? I know one of the things that I have found out a lot of people would take a person's idea and go in the, and, 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 you know, and try to implement it, it doesn't go to where they plan it, okay? But you can't take a man's does, okay, and, and make it work. But again, okay, who knew that at the time, <laughs> you know, it, it didn't go right. Mm-hmm. It's just yeah, because a lot of records, they even though they there's like some of them have been burned, right? Mm-hmm. But there's a bunch of records that survived, and one of the main records that I believe is very important is the census. Okay, it's it's, it's one of the most important records for genealogy mm-hmm. because it tells you what they did, who they were where they live, like where they used to live. And occasionally you find out like 
really history that wouldn't be passed down at all. Well, you know, you know, uh, in 1790, when you read the first census, uh, and this is what actually came from, you know, from, uh, from uh, Africa that goes all the way back, you know, to when Christ was born, that he had to go back, you know, to, you know, when his father Joseph was born there, before the recessions. I mean, so, so that's been something that's been artistic, okay, for so many years, I didn't actually do the census and put down the basic information oh yeah but for the census right they just kind of went around even you didn't have to read or write or even or even speak English in some cases to get your records put on the census. Mm-hmm. Because the good thing about the census is that it had all different races on there. Mm-hmm. Even though, like, some records would just leave, you know, black people off because they weren't considered human, okay? <laughs> they, it was only to like the 1870s where all black people, well, I think most black people who took the census was put on the census for the first time as fully recognized human beings because they didn't consider slaves. They considered them like two-fifths. No, they were property. Three-fifths, that's it. No, they were property, as you said. Yeah, property. And it is just really interesting to see... Um, the census, right? Because let me give you an example real quick. So, going back to the Salas family, and the, like, I guess the common ancestor name was Thomas Salas. And so on his census, he always um, lists his parents from being both from, his mother being from Virginia, right? and his father being from Mississippi, which I found was very interesting, right? But if you didn't look closely at the, um, closely at the census, right, you would assume that Thomas Salas' parents would be someone named Maria and Elbert, because they share the same last name. But on the census, he, they are living together, right? Mm-hmm. But Elbert always claimed that he was from the Carolinas. Mm. And so I looked through a lot of people's family trees, right? And they always list that uh, Thomas Salas' father name was E. Elbert. But I don't think that's correct at all because the census, both their senses don't add up. Well, let me ask you a question. Okay? Mm-hmm. What has been the basic question that all the teachers has also hasn't been asked all the time over the years? I know they added some more questions again. What has been the probably four or five basic questions that, that, that people ask that the teachers require when they when they when they you know? They ask you your name, how old you think you are, your birthday, when you were born, where your house is. Uh, I think in the 1870s. Um, they start adding really race 
because if you were white, they just left it blank. Uh, they asked what your gender is, and if you were a male over, if you were a male citizen. And so after, like, the 1880s, it started evolving, right? And it started asking where your parents were born, if you can write and what your occupation was. That was a big change then. Mm-hmm. And then, in the 1900s, they started asking when, uh, what year you were married, how long you've been married, what your uh, marriage status. Because I know this, this year, uh, they tried to ask on they to the census, okay, they was a little bit now, and they want to ask you about your family, you know, you're an immigrant or not. You know, and, and that's, that was kind of kicked off. And then, and then it's kind of really on, but this year, uh, we we'll go down in history as being a shorter year, because really it was a month short of, of clicking information. Oh, yeah, that's definitely, that definitely affected the numbers because some people probably thought they had a month to finish it, okay? Yeah. And that messes up funding, that messes that affects a lot of things within your community. Let me ask this if I could. We're going back to Lou Ellis' grandson uh, that uh, went up. He's now at the Howard University. What, what were you telling me about him? Oh, her, uh, her great, I think that's her great-grandson. Okay. And his name is Milbert Brown. And, oh, Dr. Milbert O. Brown, he's a, he's a, uh, a journalist, just as I am. <laughs> he used to travel across the world. He um, covered South Africa's first free election. He uh, was selected as part of the uh, UN committee to report on Libya. No, Liberia's election. He also let me let me see what else he did. He won. Uh, how do you pronounce this? Pool. Pulitzer Yeah, prize in journalism. Writing for people, people, and that comes from the papers here in St. Louis, when they want they want to turn the folks to staff. The paper that was created by them. Let me ask. If, if I could, M.C. Richardson, let me ask either one of you, a lot, and we, we run into this problem all the time that our relatives, the ones we think are our relatives, are really hesitant or don't want to talk and share anything. And they will cop out in a minute, in my terminology, and how are we going to learn if we don't have somebody to talk to us? And if we're not able to, a lot of them say you can't read and write, but the ones who can read and write, uh, they don't share that information. And they say education begins at home. But nowadays, people used to have the teachers educate, and that way they got away from them after the summer. Was, they would go to school in the fall, like we got going now. But the parents was happy to get away, uh, get them out of their so-called air. So, but let me ask uh, either one of you, uh, why is it that we are so hesitant, you know, that they didn't want, we'll say, black folks to read or write? 
And a lot of us really absorb that. And then a lot of us really don't like to share information, or maybe they don't know how to share information. And the, and the, and the same way with the Indians, y'all call them uh, Native American, I call them American Indians, uh, that they have to go to boarding school because they didn't want them to read or write. So what kind of answer, how can we alleviate that in order to do this research and something it'll work for all people to know where they come from, what womb they came out of, and how this can make us a better place to live and learn our ancestry. Well, I really suggest reaching out to family members, like reaching out to family members that you normally would not talk about, or ask someone like, hey, what's some cousins that I don't know about? Because for the for the first time, when I really started getting into my genealogy and finding out exactly who I was, it was from the record, but what really helped me was talking to family members because they had photos and I, those photos did not pass down to me or my mother or any of her siblings. And they was like, wow, when I started talking to them, they didn't think anyone else would want to see that. And so I just think it's very important to really talk to your fam, like if you're comfortable with it, talk to like some family members it doesn't matter if they're close or distant. They might have some information about an ancestor that would have just never got passed down at all. Well, well it's, it's one thing you mentioned there when you were on about a lot of, you know, on Indians and stuff, especially uh, information that they, they were, we all to boarding school, where those were normally the people who led the tribes. And they put their kids in, 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 the, in schools away from their families. They were separated. And one of the things that, uh, that like you said earlier on, that uh, most times, uh, you know, you know, most black, you know, and people on plantations and stuff, they just never gave any thought. They, they don't have to write stuff down. And then most times it was like word of mouth. And if you have somebody in the family who, you know, who write in your Bible for you, or if you take what was going on, or, you know, you know uh, they would be wanting to have it to share with you, but they didn't know what to share. And that was one of the things, okay, uh, myself, I was fortunate enough as I was raised, uh, you know, I was taught how to write, I had a typewriter, you know, my family, you know, every day they knew my Bible all the time and just reading, 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 documentation, documentation. And I take that on to my three daughters, and they take it on to their kids also, so around us, okay. Uh, they all you know, love me and I always let my mother do research. Okay, if you just tune in, you listen to Guess Who's Coming to Kansas City, and we are quarter past, uh, quarter to our closing time. But let me ask you, in the boarding school, they got the Heart of America Indian Center over on uh, West 39th. And mm -hmm. people learn, and most of the people who went to boarding schools, why is it they have the interracial marriages? Because the, the, the white always married one of the Indians who was probably part of that boarding school to one of the instructors. So they had a lot of interracial marriage. They had one in the South where the fur trappers, they would marry the Indian, and this is what they probably even looked the up, Cheyenne, that 
they would stay married to them five years, and they would kill them in order to get their land. Are you are you cognizant of that? Oh yeah. So for the the boarding schools, right? A lot of those people were absolutely. They were forced to send their kids to those boarding schools in the first place. Yeah. So they were forced because basically the thing was. Uh, their motto was kill the Indians, save the like save the man. I'm pretty sure. So they were trying to eliminate any type of cultural things that made them Native American. Okay, and so they would usually just take their kids because I and like with that as well. Uh, some people just did not survive those warnings, and I don't think a lot of people are aware of that. But recently, they're just finding all the mass graves in these boarding schools of Native American children. What about the Europeans, we'll say, on elimination? That's what Andrew Jackson did. Uh, he created, I think yeah. it was 1830, I think, where he lim- eliminated yeah, uh, the so, Native American. Now, uh, so, go ahead. So... In 18, I think it's 1838, he forced them off their land, right, because they found it was good farming land, and so they forced them to walk what is now known as the Trail of Tears. Mm-hmm. And all my family on my dad's side had to walk that, whether they were Native American or the slaves of the Native Americans that they had. And so, what was interesting, you brought up that a lot of them would, um, eventually marry and have interracial marriages, right? Well, what happened with that was I think it might have been common for them to marry them because uh, the Native Americans got these call, uh, these things called land allotments, which was land that they were given because, you know, the government stole their land. <laughs> and so people would either, they either marry them, right, just take it from them, and, like, usually they didn't even have to kill them to take the land. It was just like, okay, you sign this, and you get the, the land that becomes automatically the other person's land. And, go on. I'm thinking about that it's probably time to educate your kids in return when they use their land. And they're not doing any better, okay? They got two times their land. Yeah, basically, or like a common thing was they they would come up to a person after one of their relatives died and say, oh, sign this so you can pay for this funeral. But, but they didn't know, because also a lot of these people were educated, but they didn't speak, you know, some of them didn't speak English. They spoke their other language. For my family... I believe, like, I think my great-grandmother, well, my great-grandmother, she grew up in a household that spoke Cherokee, right? But I guess when Oklahoma became a state, they weren't allowed that to speak that language anymore. I mean, there was one way, one, uh, who was about, what, I mean, years ago, when they, when they took their kids, okay, when they, when they took their land from them, all right, they were sending kids off to college someplace, 
and the, and the kids were you know, not allowed to speak the language, okay, from which they came from. And hence, that's why a lot of times in history you found out the Indians started using smoke signals and drumbeats as a way to communicate. Because they were forbidden okay, to, to speak in the language that they, that they grew up with. Yeah, because in these uh, boarding schools, right, they want to let you speak their language. They removed any type of thing that was culturally significant to these people. Like, they would cut their hair, force them to wear American size uniforms, right? And I believe it was part, these boarding schools were part of these, like, I don't know. I forgot what it was. Some of these were, like, missionary schools, too. And so they believed that these Native American people, their culture was part of the devil stuff. Even, like, them having long hair, all that all, all that stuff. And so they really attempted to wipe out or assimilate or what they call civilized right. these people. Tubman, 
and then later on there was Martin Luther King, and who is it, uh, Ben Carver, uh, George Washington Carver, and it's way, we have way, way more people that are instrumental in things that we have, and also the things that we invented that the white man took credit for, even though it was not their invention. As you were saying with, oh, go ahead.
the 3rd of uh, April, the 24th of April, then we will have something on what happened in Ketcher, Arkansas. And then we have one Cheyenne, got with her Uncle Carl, and they're telling you about Red Lighting District and the history of old Kansas City, including the tunnels underneath where we always used to think that only occurred in North Kansas City, or Kansas City North. So those are things on, that's the 25th of September. But be sure to tune in the hour. What, what do you have going uh, next two or three weeks? Uh, well, next week we're doing a show uh, with uh, one of our, one of two, my name Iceberg, Slim Iceberg, who was one of our, uh, one of our people at our station early on. And he's a pioneer, and there was a disc jockey that goes real back, back in, the, in the days. And, and that's going to be kind of a history of about the music culture here in St. Louis, which is very, very, very famous around the world. I thought you were going to say Iceberg Slim. Cheyenne, you don't know what he's talking about, do you? Cheyenne, he was a pimp. But ladies and gentlemen, thanks for tuning in. And tune in each and every week. And we'll have no nonsense programming for you. And tell your friends, get on, get them, get their list on. How, how, what should they put their list on, uh, Mr. Folks? Well, well, they can go to FergusonUSAHotRadio.com, uh, go to our uh, podcast library, get a couple of our shows, or they can get a hold of Scott, uh, our engineer and general manager, about putting the information on the station. Scott, how does that work? That works for me. What about you, uh, Cheyenne? Yeah, that's fine. Oh, that's okay. Well, you kind of have to do. You can talk. It's all right. We know you're just 21, but it's okay. It's all bad here. <laughs> well, thank you very much for uh, turning on and tuning in. And like I always say, we're out of here. Well, I just kept me safe. Bye.